Welcome to Todd Talks, where I help you design your best life. Not the life that I designed for you, but the life that you desire. Today, I have with me a special treat, Gregory Offner. He's a professional performance expert. And the goal of our talk today is to share an understanding of how we look at the world of work, our mindset and our perception, how perception and perspective impact our performance. So today, our, our plan is to talk about mindset, managing change, and making, them, making an impact. We'll go where the conversation leads us. But Greg, if you could tell a little bit about yourself, how you got into this world of training other people and teaching other people, that would be great. Sure. And thanks for having me on the show, Todd. I, I got into this in a very unusual way, which is to say... The last thing you would expect someone who's told they're going to lose their legs to decide to do for their next act in their life would be to become a runner. Yeah? Right. And I was told in 2015 that I may never speak or sing again. So you would not expect the next choice I made to become a keynote speaker, <laughs> someone who gets paid solely to deliver speeches and to engage others at conferences and, and kickoff meetings. But but that's what I do now. I help organizations build teams of high-performing, highly fulfilled people. And I do that work through keynote speeches, through conference, or I'm sorry, through workshops and through coaching. I do that because up until 2015, I, I, I led a life of avoidance. Instead of pursuing my goals, I simply was waking up every day trying to avoid the consequences I didn't want. Like I didn't want to be broke or homeless so I tried just enough at my job to get by, but didn't really throw myself into it. I didn't perform with passion each day. You would not say if you saw me that I was delivering an inspired performance. I was doing okay, but I wasn't thriving. I think it, a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, it's, it's not something that is unique to me. I see this in the work that I do, and I saw it among my colleagues in the various jobs that I had. People would show up each day and be physically present, but mentally be somewhere else. They would be more passionate about distraction than about creating traction in the work that they did. Yeah, we talked about that before uh, we started recording about how we see so many people living for the weekend, living for the distraction, living for the bar, living for the vacation, because their daily life sucks and they don't really enjoy it. Well, there's a song it, about that, you know, everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's in, in, in my work. I say that if you're not in love with your nine to five, you better be in love with your five to nine, your 5am to 9am and your 5pm to 9pm. If, if, if work is merely a means of paying the bills. And for some people, that's the situation that they find themselves in, you know, Everybody has their own reasons for what they do. Right. But if you're not passionate about what you're doing for the majority of your waking hours throughout your adulthood, which is your, your nine to five, then at least bring some passion to what you're doing five to nine. You know, be, be creating a side hustle. Be the best, most present parent that you can be if, if that's what you're passionate about. But bring, bring some passion in life that fulfills you. I think a lot of people forget passion. They forget that they're, 
they're supposed to be able to have passion in life. That it doesn't, it, it's not just their love life, but they should be able to have passion in the things that they do. And I hope that we can help them, give them some tools today to help them find a little bit of that, if not in their work, but in their five to nine and nine to five. Well, to some, it's hokey. I mean, and, and I, I love that you are military because you'll appreciate this. You know, at the very top of Maslow's pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy, mm-hmm. is this idea of self-actualization. And in, you know, regular speak, not this psychobabble that self-actualization sounds like, but in just normal, plain English, I think about, and I know you're Air Force, but I think about the U.S. Army slogan. And whenever I ask audiences, you know, what do you remember when I say the words army slogan, what do you think of? Without hesitation, every audience says, be all that you can be. (laughs) And if you ask some of the army generals in recruiting, they'll tell you that they wish it had never been changed because since they changed that slogan, which lasted for 20 some years, one of the longest used slogans in the U S military, they've had several, they just can't seem to find one that speaks to people the way be all you can be spoke to their, their potential recruits. And that's because that's what self-actualization really means. It's becoming all we're capable of being. And I think that for many people, that idea is a luxury. Oh, it must be nice to try to be all you can be. I'm over here trying to do what I have to do. And there's a change in mindset that I've seen taking place over the last 20 years in the professional sphere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of the access to technology and the democratization of payment systems. So, for example, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if you wanted to start a business, you mainly were going to accept cash and checks. It would have been challenging for you to set up, you know, a credit card system. But there was no Venmo. There was no PayPal. There was no Wi-Fi. So in many cases, you needed an office. There were all these things that you needed the barriers to entry, so to speak, that Mm -hmm. made starting a business challenging. But now we live in an age where Wi-Fi is ubiquitous. Websites cost, they're they're free really to make on, you know, any number of platforms. And you can set up a Venmo or a PayPal account and start accepting money from any client. So really the barrier to entry of someone chasing their passion, chasing their dream, becoming all they're capable of becoming has never been lower. So the opportunities there, it's just either the motivation or the knowledge that's lacking. Totally agree. And there are a lot of people that have jumped into that sphere and have gone after their dreams that they, in fact, they have zero desire to ever work a nine to five because they, and a lot of it's the 20 year olds, the millennials that have bought into that, I don't want to work in an office space. Um, And at the same time, you have guys and gals in their 30s and 40s that would love to do something like that, but are trapped by fear. Mm. The, The mindset of, well, I can't do that because of whatever blockage they have or fear of stepping out, fear of the unknown, fear that they don't know enough. Yeah. I mean, so I got lucky, right? So for me, failure was my only option. At, at the point in time where doctors said I would never speak again, 
that there were going to be surgery after surgery required to repair my voice. It was going to be months before I might even be able to think about using my voice normally. I mean, at that point, Todd, failure was, that was all I had in front of me. Failure in my sales job was basically guaranteed because I couldn't speak. How was I going to create sales conversations, close deals when I can't talk? So that job to me was already, that was already gone. And my singing career, I mean, that was dead in the water. So I had already lost everything. So it was very easy for me to step out of that role and build something that I was truly passionate about. I understand that for many people for whom life is going hunky-dory, things are, you know, generally not bad enough to make a change, not good enough that I'm feeling fulfilled. There is that manufactured sense of loss, but that really speaks to our belief system. It speaks to what we what we see when we when we look in the mirror. What do we believe about ourselves? Do we believe that we're going to fail or do we believe why not me? Why couldn't it be me that steps out and is successful? Do we believe in ourselves? I think that's the the, the caveat. Most people they say, well, that's great for them but they don't believe that it can work for them, for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We call that the must be nice factor in my industry. You know, you look at a speaker <laughs> who just, just stepped into a, a limo and they're being whisked away to some arena to speak in front of 30,000 people. And you think, oh, it must be nice to be them. You know, but they failed their way to success. They've been where I am, you know, at the, at the beginning of a speaking career. I'm, I'm only three years into this career. And there are folks that I look at who are 10 and 15 years into their career and, and they're doing things that I aspire to do. But the way I got here was by talking to hundreds of other speakers. I, I sourced or sought common denominators in their story. And what I identified was that the most challenging part of the speaking business is the selling side. It's getting someone to have a conversation with you about you receiving a check to come and speak on their stage. And I thought, well, I've sold lots of other things in my career. Surely I could sell me better than I could sell anything else for somebody else. If I can't sell me, what am I doing? I got to look in the yeah. mirror and think that I believe in me most of all, and I can sell me most of all. And yet that's one of the hardest things is selling yourself. I suppose. For, for, yeah. for uh, you know, we're talking about if you're referring to limiting beliefs in yourself, it becomes a barrier to selling yourself. Once you get rid of those beliefs, then selling yourself should be, as you said, one of the easiest things in the world. Yeah, but I don't think you get rid of the belief, Todd. I think that you confirm or disconfirm. And so that's what I that's what I thought out, you know, sort of sought out to do at the beginning of this. Because to me, prior to all the research I did. You know who you know who gave speeches that people paid for? Oprah, astronauts, war heroes, sports <laughs> like I thought you had to climb Mount Everest or be buried underneath it and survive to be the type of person that they let stand up on stage, but that's just not true. So my research, the whole purpose of meeting with speakers was to find out are these just the most famous, most successful? There's a speaker out there who I admire greatly who's a felon. He spent time in a federal penitentiary for embezzling his client's funds. You know what he talks about? Ethics. 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 <laughs> what better person to talk about ethics than someone who's been on the other side of it? I mean, that has always fascinated me 
this is a bit of a right turn, but just how drug policy are set by people who've never allegedly never used illegal drugs. Well, what do they know about that? Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody from the other side of the conversation in there? It's one, you know, I think it's Aristotle who, who would call that one who's in a position of knowledge is, is, is who should be lecturing. You'll have to fact check me on whether that was Aristotle or Plato. But it, my, my point is we create these beliefs out of these assumptions. We, t- we turn assumptions into beliefs by avoiding or by not collecting additional evidence. And so my first step in making this move and overcoming the fear of, oh my God, how could I succeed at this? I'm not famous. Are all speakers famous? Let's go meet with some. And it turns out they're not. They're just regular people. Many of them are regular people like you and me that have dedicated their lives to creating change in a different way. Rather than getting a job at a company and promoted and promoted and promoted until you're finally 25 years later, you're in a position where people will listen to you and you can actually make change happen. These folks said, I can go speak to hundreds or thousands of those people each year, and I can influence them because they're already in a position to make change happen. So that's really all I'm doing is I'm approaching what I wanted from the onset, which is to create change from a different lane. But it started with confronting those beliefs and confirming or disconfirming the, the assumptions that underlied them. Now, isn't that one of the trickiest things to do? Assumptions. We all know what assume means, at least in the military, we, we use that all the time. It mm-hmm. makes a, out of you and me. Mm-hmm. Makes a donkey. <laughs> donkey. Yeah. Yeah. So an arse as the Brits would say. Um, but we, we make assumptions about so many things that we are often, when we dig into it, we often prove that our assumption is completely false completely wrong. This happens all the, especially in social situations, in interaction, interactions among people that our assumptions about, oh, this person is missing me and being mean and all this because I did, I must've done something to them. And then you get down to it and you find out that this person is dissing you and being mean to you because they had a fight with their husband or wife that day and their kids are failing school and they're just in a bad place right now complete. And they're not even thinking about you. And that's, yeah. So, so, and what you said is so such a great example because you said uh, they are dissing me. Uh, must have, what did you say? It must've been something I said or because of something I did that that's the assumption. And human beings tend to fill in missing information with negative information. Mm-hmm. Like if you meet somebody at the bar, let's say you're single, you meet somebody at the bar, you get their number and they say, oh, I'm going to call you. And then a day goes by, two days go by, they haven't called you. We start to paint a, a negative mental picture of what's going on. Oh, they were lying. They, they didn't really want to call me. They, <laughs> you know, they thought I was a jerk. They were just being nice to me, whatever, right? Whatever you want to say, we start to fill in the gaps, missing information with negative information. And the other thing that that, the other uh, topic that that brings to mind is curiosity. That that's a very closed mindset, a very closed approach, is thinking that some person is being mean to you because of something you must have done. When, you know, what, what would happen if we got curious about that? If instead we said, you know, I wonder what's going on with them to make them act in such a way. It's a good idea. 
because we we never know what somebody else is going through unless we ask. Everybody is going through something. And I like to say, don't judge, don't judge others because you don't know what they're going through at that moment. This this may surprise you, but where I live in the city of Philadelphia, there's a lot of bad drivers. Um, I'm really? I'm not one of them, clearly, but uh, <laughs> there are there are lots of bad drivers in this city. And from on occasion, I'll get cut off. And I like to play a little game where I imagine that that driver, you know, has to go to the bathroom really badly. And I imagine that maybe they had five big gulps uh, before they got in the car and they didn't realize that they weren't going to have an opportunity to go to the bathroom. And they've got to go so badly that they're doing that thing where you unbutton the top button and that gets you like a couple blocks. And then you have to unbutton the zipper that gets you a couple more blocks. And then you're you're sort of like lifting your butt in the seat. And you're trying to just do anything you can to take your mind and the pressure off your bladder. And, and see, if you can't see the video right now, Todd's starting to laugh. And that's what I do, too, because when we take that situation to the absurd, we take that. We make it, we, we depersonalize it. It's not about them being a jerk to me and cutting me off. I don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they're late for a job interview and it's a job they've been dying to get. And they weren't even thinking about my car. They were thinking about how much this job is going to change their life. Doesn't that put a different spin on that experience? It takes a bit of the sting out of it. So it's, that's what curiosity does. That's, that's why it's the first key in the seven keys of success. That's a model that I use when I work with leaders and when I work with organizations. There are seven keys. There are seven attributes that we can bring to a situation that will immediately enhance our performance in anything that we do in work or in our personal life. And the first one is curiosity. It's that important. It is. And I I was laughing because I've been that guy before unbuttoning the I drink a lot of water and soda and unbuttoning the belt or undoing the belt, unbuttoning the button, hitting my leg as I try to get, get to my location or get to a gas station before my bladder bursts. Yeah. Been there. One of the things before we jump in, I want to jump into the, the rest of the seven keys of success, but before we get there, I want to do just a short little dive into this. Um, curiosity, because what I think the interplay, the interesting thing is that with, as humans, so often we, we think that it's about us. They cut us off in traffic because they're jerks. They don't like us, blah, blah, blah. We always relate it back to us. We are the center of our own universe. And we think that well, they're being mean to me because of maybe, you know, maybe what I wore, uh, maybe even not they're being mean, just there's pick a scenario, any scenario, and our brains tend to, to say, well, you know, I don't want to go in there. I'm, I don't want to walk into church and go sit up at the front row because everybody's going to, um, Look at me, we're walking in late. I can't do that. And and everyone's gonna be thinking about me. And I guarantee you that 99.99% of the people that if you walked in and sat down, they would barely notice that you came in because they're focusing on what's going on up front. Their their focus is not on you. 
But so often we think that the focus is on us because that's where our brains go. So diving to dive a little bit into the seven keys of success, curiosity being the first one, what are the, the rest of the seven keys? Yeah. So uh, the, the first key is curiosity. The second is drive. Where is our motivation level set? What are we excited about? What are we heading towards? There's a principle in psychology called approach avoidance. And mm-hmm. I talked about it a little earlier when I said that I had been living prior to learning about my vocal cord damage. I had been living not pursuing what I wanted, but to avoid what I didn't want. And that avoidance response is so strong in human beings that that's how many of us live our lives. We're not really pursuing that which we want. We're simply trying to avoid what we don't want. And so drive is, is all about focusing on and getting clear on what is it that we really want? What what are we we driving towards? That's the focus of Todd talks design the life that you want that drive. Where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. So what do we need to get there? We need energy. And this is something that isn't talked about. So the third key is energy. This is something that isn't talked about often enough, I think. For whatever reason, we avoid the topic of if your body is lacking energy, your brain is lacking energy. So no matter how smart you are, how many credentials you have, if you treat your body like crap, your brain is functioning below its capable it's it's its best its maximum potential. Makes perfect sense. So then we move on to the next key, which is focus. And focus and drive are are very important. They're absolutely linked, but focus is understanding what's important and what's unimportant in the drive towards that goal. So what's really going to move move the needle? And you see this so often with new entrepreneurs. They start a business and instead of spending money on selling their services, they spend money on the new copier, the stapler, the new desk, the new this, <laughs> the new that, the things that aren't generating revenue. They feel nice. They're not necessarily bad, but they're also not going to get you where you're trying to drive to. So after focus, we've got gratitude. And these aren't in any particular order other than if you look at a musical alphabet and you've if you're musical, you've picked up on this already. It's C-D-E-F-G-A-B. So we're following the musical alphabet because it, I have a background as a piano player. So the seven keys of success. Hey, I, I play piano, guitar, a little saxophone. All right. So, so you get it. So you're, 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 it. Multi, you're, you're multimodal with your musical talent. But the letters or the alphabet is, you know, remains the same. So the next key in, in sequence is G and that's gratitude. And it, you know, this may not be the first key listed, but it is one of the most important. Gratitude is proven scientifically to not only improve performance in everything that we do, but it's proven to uh, extend our life. People who practice gratitude regularly live longer. They're happier, objectively happier than those who don't have a practice of gratitude. Excuse me. And the last two are attitude and belief. And they may, they may seem hard to distinguish, but attitude is what other people see when they look at us. Attitude is like a brand's reputation, but for an individual. We control the factors that influence it, our body language, our attire, mm-hmm. our choice of words, our professionalism. But attitude is what other people say about us. 
Belief is what we say about ourselves. Belief is what we see when we look in the mirror. So they're two very distinct attributes, but understanding them. So when we talk about attitude, when I work with organizations, it's understanding body language, how to control it to your advantage, how to use it, how to, how to interpret it, how to understand right. what someone else's body language is telling us. And then understanding to your, your point about belief, what sort of started this conversation out, <laughs> understanding the stories, the rules that we've created for ourselves, discerning how true they are, how imagined and how helpful they are or aren't. For example, right. I, I take, I take notes. That's why that's, that's the little break there, but no, you're go, good. I go mean, ahead you know, with your example. For, for example, uh, there's a lot of data showing that people believe CEOs don't always act in the best interest of their employees. A significant percentage of people, 89% of respondents said they don't believe that CEOs are always acting in the best interest of their employees. It's probably now, a higher percentage if you look at it from politicians. Now, now whether that's <laughs> true or imagined is the subject of that seventh key belief. Is Have we told ourselves that? Do we know this to be true? Do we have data that shows us this is true? Is it helpful to believe that that's true? No. So what are these beliefs, what are these beliefs doing for us? I held a lot of beliefs that were limiting, that were holding me back. And it wasn't until I confronted them, where did these come from? Why have I been carrying these with me? Because we don't pick up beliefs unless they do something for us. Right. But sometimes we don't look at that belief and say, what is it that you're doing for me? It's a, it's a rough analogy here, but it's, it's interesting how there is a M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, I think it was called Split. You know, they're all set here in Philadelphia. And it's about someone who created these, this multiple personalities as a, as a shield, you know, to protect themselves. So okay. one personality believes that they're super strong. One personality believes, you know, this one personality believes another thing. They created these multiple personalities, not because they were bored, didn't have anything better to do, but because it served a purpose. Right. Does it still serve a purpose for them? That's the work of a therapist in, in, in taking that patient through the different uh, therapeutic modalities. So what are the beliefs? What are the stories that we tell ourselves when we look in the mirror? Maybe they were valuable then, but they're not valuable now. So having an honest and candid assessment conversation with ourselves or with a coach or with a therapist in some cases about what is it that I believe? Does that really serve me? And what can I do about it if it doesn't? I really like these. And you've hit upon a couple areas that, I, that I've actually focused on in the last week or so. Um, one of those being gratitude, because I, I just posted um, a video recently on Facebook talking about how gratitude is one of the ways that we can use to overcome fear. Gratitude for past experiences, good or bad, can help us overcome a lot of different beliefs, negative limiting beliefs. And the other is limiting beliefs themselves, because 
as you put, those are rules and stories and things that we've told ourselves that aren't necessarily true. We've come to believe them, but but what is the why behind that? And and to dig into it and go find out the root cause of those beliefs, I think is the important thing. A lot of those root causes you can find out on your own just by asking why, why, why to dig back, go backwards. The others, you need a coach or or a consultant to help you to get at get at a problem or a belief by asking good questions that you can't ask yourself or won't ask yourself. So there's and then oh go ahead. No go finish finish well and then just the the last thing I was gonna say is and then there's some limiting beliefs or modalities as you put it that you actually need professional help to get to the root cause. And those are, you know, the more of the depression, the PTSD type type beliefs that you've come to ingrain so deeply from a trauma or something else that you need a professional to help you to overcome. But that's where there's different modalities, different ways that we can improve and help and grow as long as we're willing and open to recognize that it all starts with us. It's not outside of us. It all starts with us. Change starts within. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's easier to break your brain than it is to break your arm, but there's such a stigma around seeing a mental health professional to help sort of repair that gap. And it happens to the, to, to the best of us. It happens to all of us at some point in time where our brain is just carrying more than it's comfortable or capable of dealing with on its own. And yet the average person would think it's silly for someone to walk around with a broken arm, you know, just saying, Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust those doctors. I don't know if they really want to fix my broken arm. I don't know. And yet there's such resistance out there to seeing someone whose specialty is understanding the brain right? and, and helping repair it because it's natural especially with all that's going on in the world right now and all of the different tools that our ancient brain wasn't necessarily equipped to, to handle, like social media. It's pretty easy for the brain to break. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of use. If you're using the brain, eventually it's going to get a little tired and it may miss a step. And yep. so sometimes having a professional help us unpack that is is very helpful. But you, you brought up... A, a trigger word for me, which is root. And I often help people get to the root of their goals. We call it root goal analysis with a question. And there's a couple different ways to ask this question because why, you know, just drawing on my sales background, why is a very confrontational question, mm-hmm. you know, to, to ask someone why? Well, unless you're my daughter, I may get a little upset that you're <laughs> confronting me like that. You know, my, my daughter won't shut up about why. <laughs> That's great. I love I love the curiosity. So I wanted to throw another alternative out there for your listeners. When you identify a goal or you want to get to the root of a belief. So let's pick a belief. Pick any belief, Todd. What's a belief that you think would be one we can work with? Okay. Let's let's say 
I could never make a million dollars. Okay. So I think that's a down, pretty common one. So you'd write down, I believe I could never make a million dollars, which allows me to blank. So me Basically. believing I could never make a million dollars allows me to what? Allows me a free pass? Let's Give me up. look in the mirror and feel better about not having made a million dollars? What does that belief allow you to do? Or you could say, I believe I'll never make a million dollars, comma, so that I can. I created this belief that I'll never make a million dollars so that I can feel better about not achieving my full potential so that I can have an easy out when someone asks me why I'm not a millionaire. And then whatever the answer is, that becomes then applied to the same question. So um, let's use the, so I don't feel bad about not achieving my full potential. Not feeling bad about not achieving my full potential will allow me to. That's a tough question to answer. That's an honest question. That might hurt emotionally thinking through that answer. Getting to the root cause. But we're, yeah. But we're getting requires us to get emotional. Yeah. So, you know, for your listeners, give, give that one a shot. Um, and I think you'll find that can be applied to goals too. So the flip side of that, I want to be a millionaire so that I can blank. Yeah. I do this exercise with, with, um, high school, college kids. I was going to say young children, but they're not really <laughs> young children. So I do this with high school and college age kids. And it wouldn't surprise you that in a room full of them, 95% when I say who wants to be a millionaire, raise their hand. But as we go through this exercise, what we often find is that what they boil it down to is some essence of freedom. Mm -hmm. Being a millionaire will give me some something that relates to freedom when we ultimately get down to it. So then we get to ask the question, if you could achieve feeling free without having to be a millionaire, is that something you'd be interested in learning more about? Because now we've just taken this huge obstacle, the sacrifices, the changes, the lifestyle that's required to become a millionaire, that we don't really want to be a millionaire. We want what we think being a millionaire gives us access to. So it's sort of like the person who says, oh, uh, I want to lose 15 pounds. Why? Well, because I want to look better in my clothes. Why? Because well, I want to get laid more. All right. So forget the gym. Let's just work on getting you laid. And I, I don't mean to be crass, but you see how if we boil it down, we get it not what sounds good, because it sounds good to all your friends saying, hey, you know, I'm going to lose 15 pounds this year. Good for you, Bob. Good for you. But if you say to your friends, hey, I want to get laid more. I mean, that's an odd conversation to have, right? That's a little bit strange <laughs> at the Christmas uh, dinner table. I don't so, know. That sounds like a lot of my conversations with my <laughs> wife. So I, I, I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're going down a rabbit hole here that we should not go down. Um, no, we're not going. <laughs> my, 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 my point and, and, you know, all cheekiness aside, I don't tend to take myself very seriously. I take these results very seriously. 
Right. You know, I think we should be able to laugh about silly things like this. But the serious side of this is that we all suffer from not identifying root goals. Because what happens is we put goals out there that sound good, that we're happy to talk about at dinner parties, and everybody goes, oh, that's a great goal. Good for you. But then we give ourselves a free pass to never achieve it because at the end of the day, we really don't care. It's not what we really want. And this is the problem is that people don't achieve what they're fully capable of because they don't take the time to boil it down and identify what is it that I'm really after. There are so many multi, multi, I know some of them personally, nine figure millionaires out there who think the answer is more money. And they've got more of it than most people could imagine. And it's not the answer, but they're not doing the work to boil it down. There are so many companies that I get introduced to who, you know, a, a CEO will say, you know, our goal, Greg, is to be the market leader in this industry. And so I say, that sounds fun. That sounds fantastic. What will that allow you to do? And then they say, oh, well, it'll, you know, give us massive pricing power and blah, 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 blah. And I go, great. And when you have that, what will that allow you to do? And we get to this point where they start to get very frustrated because they're not thinking, they're not used to thinking about goals in this way. But ultimately, we put so many obstacles in front of us when it could be a lot simpler if we just identified the real goal, the root goal. Makes perfect sense. So, you know, we talked about the seven keys and now we're talking about this root goal analysis. I want to make sure that I get this into the hands of your listeners because the seven keys of success are powerful, but they're also, they're also a lot. It's something that's normally a full day workshop with an organization and, and we're just sort of scratching the surface here with the fingernails. So if your listeners want to know more, I'd encourage them to text the word keys, K-E-Y-S, to the number 33777. So 33777, text the word keys. Uh, You're going to get a text back from me asking for your email. And then I will send you a one sheet. And that's all I'm going to send you. You don't go into this like spam folder where I, you know, pop you emails every day, four times a day, telling you stories and things you don't care about. This is solely to get this into your hands because once you see what the seven keys are, understand a little bit more about them, how they're applied in a positive way, and how sometimes they can be a negative. Too much curiosity, unfocused curiosity can be debilitating. Oh, yeah. So understanding a little bit about the negative side of each of these keys, as well as how they can be used positively, can make a real impact for your listeners, and it can give them a direction to choose to do a bit more research on their own, or if they need my help even further, they want my help with their organization even further, you know, I can certainly, I'm happy to talk with them about whether or not it makes sense to work together and explore that more, but at least there's a place for them to start so they can get started. No, that's great. Giving, giving a simple, easy place to start. That's uh, appreciate that. Thank you very much. Now, if someone did want to reach you outside of the texting they wanted to work with you or have you work with their organization, how can they reach you? Yeah. So I'm on all the major socials. Um, and thanks for asking that question. Uh, they can reach out to me on social media. They can go to my website, which is gregoryoffner.com and they can email me there. They can learn more about my work. Uh, they can even inquire directly about working together. You know what? I'm, I'm a big fan of conversation. 
Uh, speaking is my life, but also people are what I really enjoy about this. So I'd love if they reached out on social media or, you know, drop me an email and simply told me what was valuable about this episode. I'd love to know what they really gleaned most from this that they're excited to put into, into practice. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, it's a pleasure, I've, Todd. It's I've enjoyed to it. Me too. I've, I've enjoyed it. These are, these are always fun. I, I think, one, I learn the most. But I also, like you said, I enjoy doing the interviews because of the people I get to meet. And it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks, so, Todd. Thank you. Your website and the text uh, information will be in the show notes. So cool. you can go down below and uh, look in the show notes and click if you want to uh, go to gregoryoffner.com. And then you'll be able to see what he's about and do a little bit deeper dive into the possibility of working with him. Again, thank you, Greg, for being on the show. Todd Talks, Design Your Best Life, where we help you to design the life that you desire. Not the one that I desire for you, but the life that you desire. Todd Talks are available on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And as always, have a blessed day.